Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Thanks, Tash. It's good. Good to see you all. Um, welcome this morning. Um, we, we prayed. It was lovely, actually, the first service. It was just, I was saying um, in, in uh, sorry, I get my notes started out, uh, that, that we, we prayed for Willie and Farah in the first service, um, two years um, to this weekend from there really felt a burden for the Mournview area. And one of the things that we've done is looked at missional communities as regards, um, as well as church plants this morning in Portadown. They're baptizing eight people. Uh, over in Portadown this morning, so that's exciting. Karen Shalom will hop in this afternoon. And then there's missional communities. There's people who live in a community that share a heart for that community. And Willie and Farah sort of led up the charge in that a couple of years ago out of a verse from Priscilla and Aquila who had a church in their home. And uh, so it's exciting. We prayed for them this morning. Exciting to know all the stuff that's going on. And we've been in this theme called Unveiled Faces. Um, we've been looking at this for a few weeks now. And uh, the idea of, of, of God revealing himself to mankind. And um, we based it on this verse here in 2 Corinthians 3 that's on the screen. Um, and it says that, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What is this veil? Um, it says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So freedom is people who don't have a veil over their eyes or over their face or over their spiritual sight so they can get a fresh glimpse of God. And he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. That word transformed means a process. So it's this ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we talked about how this process was, um, wasn't a flick of the switch. It wasn't why we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Um, the process of our old nature is a, an ongoing process. And of course, we looked at this passage here in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. This is the one that talks about the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And so this morning, it could be one of your family members, it could be a, a neighbor, it could be a work colleague, it could be somebody in your college or somebody in your works in the local coffee shop. But the, the enemy of this world, Satan himself, is out to blind them. Isn't it amazing that he's out to blind them? They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news, and they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, I want to say to you this morning, this message that I have this morning is quite teachy. It's quite wordy and quite teachy. It's hard to, I'm going to talk to you about covenant because, um, and, and you know, it's sort of my pet theme, and I've talked about it over the years on and off and referred to you. You'll get a paper from a familiar slide again. You'll love that. Um, but uh, it's just important to understand God. You need to understand covenant. All right, and so sometimes when it comes, there, there are those sort of family chats where we 
sit together and we chat about life and we chat about fear and we talk about, we give you four practical um, steps of how you can overcome it. That's not what this morning's about. This morning is more a, 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 a rally, the, the, the team, rally the, the, the soldiers sort of talk where we're, um, and, and, and so while it's hard, it's hard to put it into application. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. I just feel it needs to be taught, and you need to understand what covenant is. And we'll do this over a few weeks, because I think it's really important that you grasp this idea of covenant. I um, often think about how, um, you, you know, if we, if we have a faulty perceptive perception of God, if we don't see God as the Father for what He is, then we miss what He has for us. And what happens is we tend to view God through our lens of earthly father. Oftentimes, the lens in which we, we see earthly father is the lens that we look at God through. So, it tints that lens. And uh, I've talked to you about these before, but several that I've done over the years are these types of father. So, some of you might have had what we would call the scientist father, this sort of superior Einstein workaholic, aloof, removed um, too busy with his life, sits in his room with his too busy sign-up. And some of you might have had a father like that, a little bit like that. Can, can I say that all of us had a father in some shape or form? Some might have been great and some might have been bad, all right? But they were all human. I'm a father and a grandfather. I, um, my little granddaughter, Maddie, turned 13 today. And so I, this morning I got up and I thought, I'll send Amy, her mom, a text to wish Maddie a happy birthday. And then I thought, oh, no, no, I can text Maddie. I'll say, you know you're getting old when you can text your grandkids um, happy birthday. So, uh, um, so there's something about this idea that fathers are just human. And so they've all got flaws. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this because it's important to understand this. Some of us maybe had a referee father who just seemed to tally the points. It was all about rules, um, religious rules, no fun. Um, and uh, you get away with the fouls when the referee's not looking, and there's a cold personality. Some of you might have had a relationship to an earthly father like that. Some of you maybe had this sort of a father, where he's sort of the grandfather father, I call him, where everything is taken care of. You don't allow any responsibility, allow you to get any responsibility. You remain a child. You don't really grow up, and there's no discipline where um, I'm sure all granddads aren't like this, but most of them are, I think. Well, right, all right. Uh, we're a bit of a pushover. And, um, and so there's, there's, there's something about this type of father. And then there's an the abusive father. Some of you maybe grew up in a home with an abusive father who's angry and moods, and so you're not dead sure what you're coming home to. Blackmail. You can't wait till you get away or till they die. Uh, or, or just hurt in there. And some of you, that might be the lens that you look at a father through. And for some of you, this one, in the way I grew up, and this wasn't that was taught, but it was just my perception of the father that I grew up with, um, more maybe not so much from my own father, but from um, maybe the denomination and religious sort of environment, and there was nobody meant any harm to that. But this is the perception that I grew up with, that it was uh, make sure we get punished for all our faults. So we grew up to fear the wrath of God, but never really understand the love of God, all right? He loves us, but He doesn't really like us. And the whole relationship with that type of father is just based on fear. And fear, there's a healthy fear, 
And it's important to have a reverential fear of God. So when any of my kids did anything wrong, um, I, I found that, you know, usually when they came home from school, there was a, it was maybe a couple or three hours before you teased out of them what was actually wrong. And then you realized that something had happened at school and they knew that they're and it wasn't that they it wasn't that they were going to get beat or hammered. No, you're not allowed to do that anymore. But it wasn't that wasn't what they were thinking. They were just thinking about disappointment. They were thinking that they couldn't actually tell us that that's a healthy fear and a fear that's out of respect. But this fear is not healthy. This fear is like this is like a, a fear that's unhealthy and it's demonic. And then of course you've got the bodyguard father. He's the lifeboat, all right, uh, the lifeboat father. They're the ones that you, um, you, you, you know they're there, but you hope you never have to use them and, um, and only use when there are no other options. And with this type of father, there's no real relationship. And then, of course, um, we've got the perfect father, who is the covenant father. He commits everything he has to us. His initiative is sealed with his blood, and he's promised never to break this. There's no human equivalent to this, and he just loves us unconditionally. And it's to this Father that, that we, um, we, we want to talk about this morning, this covenant Father. Covenant is a deep river that runs throughout the Scripture. In Genesis 2, Moses talks about a river that flows out and flows into four different regions and goes throughout the earth. And then Revelation 21, the revelator John he writes at the end of the story about the river of the everlasting covenant. And so we find from the beginning to the end of the Scripture, there's a river of deep meaning. It's a river of grace and of peace and of truth and of covenant. And it's really important to understand some of the deep mysteries of the Bible, all right? And that's why I want to teach you a little bit on this this morning, all right? Um, the word covenant has lost its meaning, I think, in today's society. It means promise. It means commitment. It means involvement. It means faithfulness. It means loyalty, even to death. And we've marred um, covenant, the word covenant, a little bit. And we broke bread this morning. As we came to the tables this morning, we do this every Lord's Day. We were remembering the new covenant. That's what we were doing, whether you knew it or not. We were making a, a remembrance statement to uh, a new covenant. And what we were saying was that this God that we um, serve is a covenant-making God. The, the covenants are the, are the greatest manifestation of God's love and grace and mercy in the Bible. And so he established a covenant with Noah, and he made a covenant with Abram, and he made a covenant with David, and, and he promised a, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. On and on he goes. He's this covenant. He's always making covenant. Every time you come across God in the Bible, he's making covenant. He's a covenant-making God. Not only that, he is a covenant-keeping God. He, he keeps his covenant. God reveals his faithfulness and his trustworthiness in that he keeps the covenant that he makes. Once God has made a covenant, he does not forget it, nor does he become negligent of it. The rainbow that we see, you know my love for the rainbow, Genesis 9, it says that I'd place a bow in the sky, all right, and he says, this is, you read it yourself when you go home, he says, every time I look at that bow in the sky, it will remind me of the covenant that I made with the people. Isn't that amazing? So we look at the rainbow and we think it's there for us, and it is very beautiful. Every time I see a rainbow and they're very special to me, and came at strategic times in my life and still do. 
And um, every time I look at one, I think God's looking right now at what I'm looking at and reminding Himself of a covenant He made for me. Isn't that beautiful? Because he's a God who not just makes covenant, he's a God who keeps covenant, even to the very point of putting a bow in the sky to remind himself to keep it. He's a God revealing covenant. This is really a, a covenant revealing God. In order for man to be in covenant relationship with God, he must reveal the covenant to man. So openly declaring the promises and the terms, and apart from God, uh, taking the initiative, we would have no idea of that. So God makes the covenant. He keeps his side of the covenant. And then he reveals this covenant to us, as we'll see in a moment or two. And then the beautiful one, I love this one. He's the God enabling, uh, the covenant enabling God. This same God who makes, who keeps, and reveals his covenant to man also enables man to fulfill his part of the covenant. This is the most incredible thing. Even under the new covenant, Philippians 1, 6, reminds us of this. He who began a good work in us will see it through to its end. We will complete it. So God makes a covenant. He keeps his side of the bargain. He reveals it to us, and then he actually comes and helps us to keep our part. Where are you going to get that? Where in the world would you get a deal like that? That's a pretty good deal of this God who is a God of covenant. And so the general purpose of covenant is to provide a binding sense of commitment to uh, an interpersonal relationship. And covenants were very binding. In the, even, in, even the human covenants, when, when Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites, the, not to go into it this morning, but the Gibeonites in Joshua 9 verses 1 to 27, it tells us a story about these people who were afraid of Israel, and they actually they let on they were from far away, but they were just a neighboring nation, and they totally bluffed Joshua into making a covenant with them, a peace treaty. And Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites, which, was, which he couldn't break. And he realized after he made it that he shouldn't have made it. They fooled him into it, but he couldn't break it because it was a covenant, and God looks very, very, very powerfully on covenant. Whenever we come to our English understanding of covenant, the English dictionary, if you look it up, the Oxford Dictionary will say that's a mutual understanding between two or more parties, each binding themselves to fulfill specific obligations. That's what the English Dictionary will say. The, the, the Hebrew word for covenant is the word berinth, um, and it means a compact or to cut. You've maybe seen this in a movie or something, so it always involved blood. So so what you would see sometimes in some of the older generations, they would have literally cut their hand. They would have run a, a little slice in their hand, and the other person would have done the same, and then they would have grabbed hands. It was an exchange of blood. And that word compact or to cut means just that. And what they would have done in the Old Testament is they literally would have cut, I know it sounds gory, but they would have cut an animal in half. <laughs> and, and when the animal, when they cut the animal in half and it fell into two halves, they would walk through the blood, they would walk through the, the center of that bloody uh, mess, really, and they would, they, would, they would seal the covenant. That's how they would do that. But when you come to the New Testament, it's the word, there's two New Testament, two, new, two Greek words, but One's not used very, very often, um, and I can't pronounce it, but this is the one that's used mostly. It's diatheke, and it's a, a will or a testament, an arrangement made by one party with plenary power, which the other party may accept or reject, but cannot alter. It's a will or a testament. Whenever 
Um, Mom and dad died. Um, all of us guys, the brothers and my sister, got together, and their will was read. It was, it was penned by them, so it was, uh, we couldn't refute it. It, could, it, was, it was their will, all right? And what, whether we accepted it or rejected it mattered not. It was written. And so it's a bit like this. This diatheke is a bit like this. So it's written by one with plenary power, written by God, and whether you accept it. So you can either accept or reject the love of God, but it, it does diddly squat, for want of good Irish language, to, to what covenant is. You are loved by God, whether you accept it or whether you reject it. So, so how can a covenant be established? That's really important that we understand that. How can a covenant be established? Well, it can be established three ways. A covenant can be established three ways by calling. So God calls us. He invites us into covenant. We're going to see this in a moment or two. And then we enter into this covenant. So this is, a, this is an amazing thing. If ever you study election, whether you agree with election or not, it's in the Bible. And I've mentioned this to you in weeks past that, you know, the Bible says in, in that you didn't choose God, that God chose you and set his love upon you. We'll see that later on in looking at one of the covenants. Um, Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose you in him in Christ before the foundation of the world. So before actually the world was formed, God had chose you. Lurgan, little old Lurgan. God had chose you in Christ. Amazing. Your name. Jilly, your name. <laughs> Chosen in Christ. Ruth, your name. It's incredible, isn't it? When we think about this, darn your name was written long before the earth was even formed. Now you can go back and fight with the the, the people who believe the earth's billions of years old or whatever you believe, that's, let's not get into that this morning. But whatever you believe, um, uh, there's something about this idea that you were chosen in Christ before the very foundation of the earth. And so, and, and the beautiful thing about that is that, that what happens is you're called into this and then you enter into it, all right? Now, um, John Calvin um, came up with a theory of sovereignty and, and God's absolute sovereignty. So his little ethos was that everything was down to God's sovereignty. And then Jacob Armenian came on the scene and he said, everything's down to human responsibility. So it's all your choice. It's man's choice. So one saying God's sovereignty, the other saying it's human responsibility. And the thing about it is that probably they were both right. <laughs> In, in my simple theory, all right, God chose us before the foundation of the world, but there came a moment in my life that I had to choose His choice. And at that moment, my responsibility corresponded with God's choice, and I became one in Him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, all right? And I, I often say you can pick this up in John three sixteen, the simplest verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. If, if you can think of the funnel God so loved the world. That's the big white end of the funnel. It says, for God so loved the world. And then it comes in and it says that, whosoever. All of a sudden, we're down to human responsibility. God's sovereignty, he loves the world. Man's responsibility, whosoever believeth in him. All right, so it's very powerful that we enter into the choice of God and then we keep that all around. We, we get to keep that incredible covenant. So loads in that um, 
We're going to look at the nine covenants. Of the nine covenants, there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of covenants in the Bible. We know that the Bible is written in two covenants, old and new. And just under, it's important that you understand this, this principle and this doctrine, all right? Um, so um, my old, you've seen this over the years. I penned this many years ago or a few years ago, and uh, it, it's really important. I'm going to talk you through it this morning um, piece by piece, all right? Um, of the nine covenants that's on that page, there, there, most theologians will agree that, that there's nine big major covenants in the Scripture, all right? And eight of them on this page are made with man. One is made in the absolute counsel of God, which is so powerful. We'll look at that in a moment or two. But let me talk you through them relatively quickly. Um, the uh, the theologians will, will, theologians will put a, an IC at the end of them all. So it's the Edenic and the Adamic. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it simple this morning. So the covenant made with Eden was made, it was a creative um, covenant, all right? It was the covenant that was made before the entrance of sin. Um, and it involved the original man and woman, Adam and Eve. It reveals God's original purpose for the whole of Adam's race. And we can read about that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's the one right up in the left-hand plane, all right? And then we know what happened. All of us probably know that sin entered the world and, and death came by sin. And so you have this desperate fall. Sometimes we use the word fall and, and we underestimate just what man fell from and what he fell to. He fell from the utmost highest of heaven's best to the depths of depravity of Satan's worst. That's the fall. It's the, the, talking about the gulf fixed. Um, Lazarus um, and the rich man, whenever the story is told that there was a great gulf fixed, that one couldn't pass the other, nor could one come the other way. And the gulf is incredibly awesome. And so what happened was man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was told not to. His wife was deceived. He was deceived. Adam downright disobeyed God. He chose um, to either go with his wife or go with God. And he, as by one man, sin entered the world. And then God, in his mercy, drove him from the garden because he could no longer allow him to eat from the tree of life. Because if he'd eat from the tree of life, he would have lived forever, and he wouldn't have been able to redeem him. So God in His mercy, this is plan A. This is not God's not thinking, oh, what do I do now? This is all in the redemptive purposes of, of God. As we'll see in a moment or two. We'll see that in a moment or two. And so man falls, and now God steps into the garden, and even at the depths of his fall, when man is at his worst, when man has fell, fallen from the heights of, of sublime relationship with God to the depths of depravity of Satan's lowest, God comes and he goes, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Even when he falls into the depths of depravity, God goes in the search. It's not that God needs Adam to tell him where he is. Just Adam doesn't know where he is. Adam is lost. He is as lost, as lost, as lost as any man could ever be. And, and God comes shouting for him, Adam, where are you? Are you? And he makes a, a new covenant 
This sort of, uh, with Adam and Eve, the original sinners and parents of the human race, and involves God's judgment in the sin and the coming of, of the Messiah and redemption. And so in Genesis 3, he says, Adam, there will, you, you, out of you will come one who, who Satan will bruise his heel, but he will totally crush his head. And so right in the garden, right down here in the depths of despair, God delivers a a covenant to Adam of redemption. This whole thing, you can see the red ladder, is all about redemption. And then, of course, the earth goes a bit skew-whiff, and the sons of God come down, and they sleep with the daughters of of, of man, and giants roam the earth, and God looks around, and He sees the earth's wicked, and He thinks, I'm going to have to destroy this place. He calls Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. He puts them into a, an ark that took over a hundred years to make, and He wipes out the earth once again, and then He makes another covenant with Noah. Um, you read about that in chapter 6 to 9 of Genesis, and it reestablishes God's purpose as revealed in the Eden covenant. And then you begin to see things. So after Eden, after Adam, after Noah, then he, he, he calls this man in Genesis 12. And for 10 chapters right through to chapter 22 of Genesis, you can read about this, this incredible guy called Abram, this father of the nations, this father of fathers, this guy who was called. And you can see now God defining things. You can see how God give the covenants, give the promises. Now he's fine-tuning. Now he's developing a nation out of which the seed will come, out of which you can see just the hand of God at work. And this is all preordained. This is all worked out in eternity past. And so he develops this uh, covenant with with Abram, his natural and his national seed called Israel, and the whole messianic seed, Jesus Christ, and includes in himself and the coming in of the believing of Israelites and Gentiles into the kingdom of God. And again, you say you can read about that right through the 10 chapters, 12 to 22 of Genesis. And then he makes a covenant with Moses um, and uh, made strictly and only with the, with the, with the Israel nation, all right, after the exodus from Egypt at the foot of Mount Sinai, and uh, it was not made with any Gentile nation, but acted as a sort of a schoolmaster to bring Israel to the Christ who would be the Savior of the world. And, um, and if you're wondering what that means, there's a great verse in Galatians 3 that talks about this. It talks about how the Moses, when we talk about the old covenant, that's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about the Mosaic covenant. It's our law, all right? It was the law that was given to Moses. So, it sort of became the schoolmaster to sort of whip Israel into shape. And, um, and it talks about this in Galatians 3, before the coming of this faith, we were led into custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So, the law was our guardian, all right? It was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So we're not under that law anymore. We're set free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So it's really important that we understand this. So this Mosaic um, covenant was all about guiding and and, and bringing Israel into shape. I call it the Palestinian covenant. I don't really know what else to call it. Um, And I, I called it this a few years ago. I was thinking about this, looking at it last night. And it's a sort of a regurgitating of the Mosaic Covenant under a new rule as they move into the new land, as they move over the Jordan into the new land. 
And it's made with the nation of Israel, especially the second and new generation at the end of the 40 years of wanderings in the wilderness. And, they, and, 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 and here it is, it's laid out the conditions for entering and maintaining into a, uh, this new promised land. And you can read about this, about the last six chapters of Deuteronomy, from Deuteronomy 27 through to the end, you can read about this covenant. And then, of course, we've got the covenant of David, which was um, David's natural and, and spiritual seed pointing to Jesus, very, very powerful. And then we've got this new covenant. We've got the cross right at the top, made with the two houses of Israel and Judah. Um, it's an incredible covenant, this new covenant that we become partakers of this morning. And then you'll see the word everlasting, and it's just under the nine covenants there, that word everlasting. And the everlasting covenant is, is, was... This is the only one that wasn't actually made with man. This one was made Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This one was made in the councils of the eternal Godhead. And uh, it is the all-comprehensive covenant, including in itself the covenants of creation, which is the green one, the Eden one, and all the redemptive covenants. This is all, uh, all the other covenants are but fragments of the whole. And so in this everlasting covenant, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. This is where this whole plan was all put into place. I was sitting last night trying to figure this out. I was sitting in my study last night trying to, trying to <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this. You tried to get into the head of God. <laughs> it's just a stupid thing to do, but I do it now and again. I try to think out how he thought it out. How? How all of those nine, those eight other eight covenants were all planned in this everlasting covenant in, in eternity past. So before, before anything was done, before the earth was created, before man was formed, before anything was done, your name, my name, was in the eternal councils of heaven. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling that, that God would choose you and choose I for such a, for such a thing. And so we have this idea um, of, of these covenants that, that, that are just so powerful that, that blow our mind in many ways. Now, what I did many years ago, I, I tried to put that onto a straight line, all right, onto a timeline, just to give you a little bit more, and I, know this, I hope it's not going over our heads, but it's just important that we understand covenant, understand that this is all part of our story, is all wrapped up in a greater story. So you think, oh, I'm not dead sure why this would happen. Well, your story's wrapped up in the, in the God story. Our story lines up with the God story. And so what I did was I tried to put it into a, a straight line. So basically that there instead of the big V in the middle, is just on a straight line. And you can see the creation one at the start, um, and this is on a timeline. And, and you can see away at the end now, where we are right away at the very end, where somewhere in that Ephesians 2.10, and that verse just says that God foreordained works that we should walk into. And so we're living at the end of the end times. You've got to get this, all right? Now, 2,000 years is just a little theory I have, and I need to be careful with little theories, and so it's just a little theory I've taken out of 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3, 8, that one day is like a thousand years. It says, now make sure you note this, that's what the verse says, that one day is but a thousand years, and a thousand years is but one day. Um, and so I have a little theory in that, but come and ask me afterwards, and then I'll not. 
send anybody into any foolish thoughts. It's just my little thought, all right? And I don't like preaching opinions. I don't like preaching something that I can't put verse to, and I can't put a verse to that. Bar that 2 Peter 3 yet. All right? Now I've whet your appetite. So we're living somewhere at the end of the end times where the, the doors are closing. The doors of eternity are closing. We're stepping into something. This is why. This is why it's time to step up. This is why as a people of God, we've got to make the right decisions. This is why it's important that we step out and we're wise. This is important that we don't get um, just parochial and think we're doing our own wee thing, but we're part of something that's greater and bigger, part of this God story that is incredibly powerful. And so what I did over the last week or so, I started to write out all the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. And I, I think I'm at three dozen at this moment in time, so don't worry, I don't have 36 points for you right now. But I have five major ones that I think are really important for us to highlight. The reason that it's good that we're alive today all right, in the new covenant, here's the first one, life versus death. The new covenant brings life. The old covenant brought death. In 2 Corinthians 3, this idea, what happened was Moses went up the mountain, and when he went up the mountain, his face shone so powerfully when he came down, nobody could look at him, so they had to do, he had to wear a veil like this here, and he had to put a veil on to, to stop because the people couldn't look at the glory of God. But what, what happened was he realized the next day that that, that he could do without the veil because it diminished. And the, and, and the further he got away from God, actually the, the less the glory shone. And so when he'd been with God, he was full of glory. But as he came away and he reverted back into humanity and back into reality, the glory diminished. That's what this verse is saying. But he's saying this new, this new covenant that we are in, it doesn't go this way, it goes this way. He's saying this new covenant takes us in an ever-increasing journey from glory to glory. So our job is that we should be getting brighter and brighter. Our job is that we should shine brighter, because our job isn't just to reflect the light. Our job is to, is, Isaiah didn't say arise and reflect. He said arise and shine. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And so this, this glory in us begins to shine. So, so the, old, the old covenant was dying and dying, this new covenant is living and living and just gets better and better and better. It's a beautiful, beautiful analogy. The second little point is uh, um, condemnation versus forgiveness. He says in Romans 7, 7, well, am I, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. So the old covenant exposes sin while the new covenant covers and cleanses sin. So instead of condemnation, we've got forgiveness. You see, this is what I say, the old covenant is, was, was, like, was like a mirror. And if you look in the mirror and you see a spot in your nose, no, this, is, this is so gory, but the mirror can't squeeze the spot in your nose. It just shows you it's there. It doesn't deal with it. And that's what the old covenant did. It just showed you, it actually just showed you how, how worthless you were. It was just full of condemnation. But the new covenant is full of forgiveness. This beautiful forgiveness of God that rises within us. It's just so amazing. Um, and then I love this third one, disfiguration versus transformation. For he says, for the law never made anything perfect, but now we have a confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This idea of instead, of instead of it disfiguring us, instead of it getting worse and worse and worse, it actually transforms us into something very, very beautiful. 
I love this, that this idea that this old covenant which leaves man imperfect while the new covenant leaves man perfect. We become, you know, that there's a beautiful verse, verse 24 in Jude that says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you to the Father. Perfect and spotless. Imagine that. Imagine that one day you're going to go into glory and he's, 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 he's going to present you, Chris, and he's going to say, Father, here's Chris. He's perfect. Perfect. Here's Harry. He's, he's, he's perfect. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful that this idea that makes us beautiful. And then my fourth one is do versus done. For God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this because it is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done, so nobody can boast, but we are God's masterpiece. Imagine. So it's not about anything that you've done. It's about everything. He, it's, 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 it's incredible, the, fin, the finished work of Christ. He has done it all, and we don't need to do anything. We don't need to do anything. Just step into that new covenant relationship, begin to realize this God of love that we have, and this God who calls us to higher purposes and we begin to realize that this is all so beautiful. And then my fifth one is this, that temporal, physical, and national versus eternal, spiritual, and universal. For what a great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on Him. And what great nation has degrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instruction that I am giving you today. So all of this old law was all national and temporal and physical. But this new, look, look at this verse. Will you see this? I love this. John 1, he came onto his own and his own didn't receive him, but as many as do receive him, as many as do, he says he gives them the right. He gives them the right to become the children of God. If the old covenant, if the old covenant didn't give us any rights, the new covenant gives us all the rights in the world. We're sons and daughters of the Father. That's why it's so important to understand covenant. And that's why it's so important to understand what to hold on to, because in a day and age in which all kinds of things are being, we, we use this little analogy sometimes. We say, if we're going to if we're going to be soft at the door, we need to be strong at the core. And so these are strong truths. And I know it's heavy for some people, but they're strong truths that you must know. You must know that this God that you serve is an eternal covenant-making God who will never fail you, who will never fail you. He will never let you down. Life will let you down. People will let you down. Spouses will let you down. Fathers will let you down. Mothers, children will let you down. People will let you down. God will never let you down. He's the God who never forsakes. And He's the God who is eternal and who makes perfect covenant with His people and calls us to righteousness. And so my challenge to you as we close, maybe Stevie, you want to come? We're going to finish with a song. My challenge to you as we close today is this. What is it you're holding on to? What is it that stops you from, from trusting this covenant God? Maybe it is some of the old fanciful ideas that we have of God that we looked at at the very start, some of those baseball ideas of, of and maybe we're just that busy trying to keep the rules that we miss, that God just loves us for who we are. But whatever it is, we need to let go of those things today. If it's, if it's fear and anxiety and, and condemnation, we need to let go of it because they will, they, will, they will keep us from the truth. 
I remember years ago reading the story of a little boy who was, who was, who loved eagles, and um, and he would go out uh, where he lived, and he would and he would try to spot eagles. And so for his thirteenth uh, birthday, his mom and dad bought him a new camera, bought him a digital camera, and so he's out watching for eagles one day, and he's looking for eagles and. And he's got his camera at the ready, and he's taking some scenery, some pics of scenery. And all of a sudden, he spies an eagle soaring up high, and he, he zooms in with his little camera, and he starts to click, 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 this eagle. And he watches this eagle, and, and he watches the, the majestic nature of this eagle soaring in the heavens. And then, then all of a sudden, he, the eagle obviously spies prey on the ground, and it dives to the ground. And the wee boy has got his camera, he's click, 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 and, he, and he's... And he's He's, he's just so, so caught up by this eagle. And, and it stoops, swoops down to the ground and it seizes its prey by the claws like this here and it sweeps up into the heavens again. And the other boys click and click and click, click, click as this eagle sweeps up with his prey. And then he's, all of a sudden, the eagle's wings just go limp. And he watches this eagle hurtle to the ground just, and he hears the thud of the eagle on the ground. And he's clicking, 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 thinking, what is, what, thinking what's going on? And, and he makes his way in through the rocks to where he, he thinks the eagle fell. And eventually he finds the eagle in the ground and, 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 he, and he, he pushes it with his foot to see if it's alive or dead. And as he pushes it with his foot and turns it over, a weasel ran out from underneath it. And what had happened was the eagle had swooped down and lifted its prey, but the weasel, not to be deterred, had gnawed away at the, at the artery of the of the eagle in the neck of the eagle that would gnawed at the artery uh, till, till, till it killed it. And the bird was so caught up in what it was holding, it missed the fact that it could let it go and get into freedom and into life. And for some in the room, we hold on to all the wrong things. We clutch all the wrong things, things that gnaw at our very arteries and our very life, our very God life. And God's calling us in this day and age, I believe, to be covenant people who say, you see, I, I finished with this three times over in the book of Revelation. It says this here, it says, and the Spirit says, come. And then the second time it says, and the Spirit says, come. And then when you come to the very last chapter, chapter 22, it says this, and the spirit and the bride say come. Interesting, isn't it? Twice over, the spirit says come. And then the third time and the final time as the Bible closes out, it says, and the spirit and the bride say come. And I've often wondered over the years as I've read that little phrase, is God waiting for a bride that loves him the way he loves her. <laughs> so the Spirit says, come, but the bride's not ready, holding on to too much. And the Spirit says, come, but the bride's still holding on to too much. And there's coming a day when the bride will let go of all the stuff and their covenant love will rise to a love of this beautiful bridegroom. And as the Spirit and the bride say, come together, earth, seen as we know it, will close out, and Christ will return with a shout. The dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain will be caught up 
to gather with them to meet the Lord in the earth. Might be today. Might be this week. Might be next year of that day and of that hour. Knoweth no man, but I'll tell you this. It's going to happen. And we're going to rise to meet a God who's a covenant-making God, who's a covenant-keeping God, who's a covenant-revealing God, and who is a covenant-enabling God. And it's to Him we're going to live with forever. And it's to Him we're going to give our report of every deed done in the body. So we need to let go of some stuff. (laughs) We need to let go of some weasels that gnawed our life. But I better stop. Let's sing. Then we'll pray. And then our time is over. Let's stand together. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.